Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Success in Accounting. Brought to you by Advanced Track. Welcome to the Success in Accounting podcast with me, Rob Brown. And on behalf of the Accounting Influencers Podcast Network, five shows going out every day for the accounting and fintech audience. We are continuing our series of panels with prominent and influential women leaders in the accounting world. I'm thrilled to have with me today a high-class panel of very prominent influential women leaders. And I'm going to get them to introduce themselves in just a moment. We are talking about diversity. We're talking about leadership. We're talking about influence. We're talking about leading in a very complex, changing world. And uh, these four ladies, we couldn't have a better panel. They are very experienced in this game. I'm going to talk about the key issues and hopefully give you as an audience some of the solutions to solve what is going on. So, uh, Tommy, I'm going to start with you. You've been on our podcast before. And uh, can you do a little introduction so the audience know who you are? And then we'll go on to Kimberly and Michelle and then Ariana. Sure. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be back again with you and uh, this uh, distinguished panel of women, uh, many of whom I know. So it'll be fun. We'll have a great time today. Tommy Berry, I was in public practice. I'm a CPA, had, was in public practice for 35 years, uh, more specifically did governmental and not-for-profit audits. And after that length of time, decided it was time for something new. Um, I was chair of the AICPA in 2014-15 and came back from that uh, tenure and uh, started looking around at other opportunities that came about. I am now the uh, executive vice president of leadership development for Succession Institute. And my partner and I primarily work with CPA firms, uh, CPA state societies, uh, associations of independently owned uh, CPA firms. So I'm still very tied to the profession, but in a much different way. Kimberly, welcome to you. Thank you, Rob, for having me. And ditto to what Tommy said about such a great and amazing panel. I am honored truly to be here. I am Kimberly Ellison Taylor, and I lead a portfolio career. How exciting is that? I worked almost 17 years at Oracle. And as a CPA, I can tell you, I enjoyed standing at the intersection of accounting and technology. But these days, I am the founder and CEO of KET Solutions, which stands for Knowledge, Empowerment, and Technology. And so my headlines are, I'm a keynote speaker, I'm an adjunct professor, I'm an independent board director, I am a volunteer leader. And in my firm, we are looking at transformation, strategy, business growth, and inclusive leadership. Thank you again for having me here. Nicely put. You've said that before, Kimberly, haven't you, in the past? That was uh, a very well-drilled elevator pitch. <laughs> Michelle, great to have you with us. Thank you. Um, it's good to be back, and I'm thrilled to see all my friends on the same podcast. Um, I have been with Prime Global for 10 years, which is an association um, of independent accounting firms. And prior to that, I had a very diverse career. So I'm very used to change management um, and to leading teams. Uh, but fairly new to the accounting profession when I'm in the presence of these ladies um, with only 10 years in this field. Um, but currently, I stepped down from the executive director role for North America earlier this year, and I'm currently um, working on strategic projects with our CEO, which has been really interesting. Um, I just finished our impact report for the last fiscal year. I'm working on an ESG and outsourcing projects and also a DEI project, which is coming up 
in early 2023. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Ariana, hello to you too. Hello there, Rob. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this panel. It's an honor uh, to be here and excited for the discussion we're going to have. I'm Ariana Campbell. I'm a shareholder and consultant at Boomer Consulting. Um, at Boomer Consulting, we work exclusively with CPA firms. We have communities, consulting, and training that focus on the five areas that are critical to firm growth, process, talent, technology, leadership, and growth. And I spend the majority of my time working with firms um, on process, but also where process intersects with talent so that we can really focus on where are those areas where we can build the additional capacity to really offer, offer more value and then focus on the overall transformation of the firm. But across the business, we work on all five of those areas. I spend day-to-day uh, working with CPA firms, in CPA firms, either virtually or on-site, really trying to figure out those strategies that are going to help them create the, that capacity. I like to think of myself as a problem solver, lots of focus, as Michelle said, on that change, um, on that change leadership. Um, but really, I think one of the um, perspectives that I bring is that my background is not in um, accounting prior to my career here. It was not in accounting. So adding a fresh perspective, asking different questions and really challenging the way that things are being done. That's great. Well, in full disclosure, I'm a part qualified accountant and a former high school math teacher. So I've got some grasp of the numbers, but not as much as you ladies. And uh, Let's start with some opening remarks, just to set some context. Kimberly, let's ask you the diversity question. We weren't talking about it 10, 15 years ago. It wasn't an issue. DEI wasn't a thing. But now we've got DEIJA, which is adding equity, inclusion, justice, and accessibility. And the whole thing has blown up. So why are we talking about it right now? Well, I'll tell you that in some small circles, I will have to give credit, especially to the AICPA, for which I was a uh, chairman from 2016 to 2018. And I was the first person of color to serve in that role. And at that time, 130-something years. The AICPA had been talking about it, but it wasn't scaling. And I would say if AICPA was talking about it, other organizations was. But if your question is about when did we get this mainstream discussion point, I think it really happened during the pandemic, if I'm really honest about it. I think we were captive at home. We couldn't go out. We were watching the news. It was horrifying what people were seeing. And for people of color who were living that life every day, we were like, where have you been? We've already lived the life of our kids couldn't go in the store um, without getting a receipt. We were already telling our kids, get a bag. I don't care how small it is. We were already saying, don't wear hoodies. We were already saying as women that we have to pretend we don't have kids because if we have kids, we're going to have stereotypes and biases. People who were LGBTQIA plus were already covering and not talking about their significant other in the work environment. People who were immigrants were already trying to hide their accents and not talking about where they came from. And I think we just came to a point where talent management, business growth, the opportunity to do better for people who wanted to be better allies and to make the world a better place. They saw the stuff that was happening on television. And I think many people just said enough is enough. And if, we're, if it's going to change, it's going to have to start with me. And I think if every single person thought that and said that, we started seeing more firms, not just public accounting firms, but in business and industry, which is where I also 
spend a great deal of my time as well. So it's overdue to have the scale and visibility, but I do want to give credit to those organizations that already had women's initiatives, that already had ERGs, that already had focus areas. They just weren't scaling big enough and more visibly in their efforts. I feel part of the problem in that my demographic, that the middle-aged white males have dominated the accounting profession for such a long time, but now 53 53% of accountants are women. We do know that they're underrepresented in leadership roles. Perhaps 11%, if we're being optimistic, occupy leadership roles. So Michelle, this is an issue, isn't it? And diversity is top of the agenda for firms, networks, alliances. Yeah, I, and I completely agree with what Kimberly said that the pandemic really accelerated this, which is one of the amazing benefits of this horrible COVID epidemic. But I also think women like Tommy and Kimberly, who have served in leadership roles, have really motivated uh, not just women or people of color, but all communities to say this is possible and to see that we can achieve this. It was an inspiration, truly. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. 10 years, almost 11 years ago, when I was hired by Prime Global, the board of directors was all men. And there was one older white gentleman who I was told later you know, voted against my joining because we had never had a woman on the board and he was really afraid that would, this was only 11 years ago. And he was afraid that would change the dynamics and the discussion honesty. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it, that that was going to be the reason I wasn't hired. Luckily it wasn't, but shockingly only 11 years ago because I was a woman. But the challenge is you want the dynamic change and that's the whole reason, isn't it, Michelle? And that's recognized now. You know, there's we're in such a fortunate time, I think, with change because it's so intentional and we're studying it and we're paying close attention to the emotions and the mental well-being and all these fantastic things that COVID really brought about. Um, so it's a it's such an opportune time that we have to take advantage of right now. And I think large companies, accounting firms, all industries are very keenly aware of that. We, we won't go backwards. We can't. There's a whole reset, Tommy, here, isn't there? And you talk a lot about change at the Succession Institute, unprecedented change. We, we hear the word VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, and navigating through that diversity is part of the mix now, isn't it? It is part of the mix. And it's so incredibly important. Uh, you know, Kimberly and I have talked about this at, at different junctures along the way as we've become friends and gotten to know one another differently. And I think one of the things that I came to realize is people have been talking about diversity for years, for a long time, but the pieces missing were the inclusion and the equity part of it. People really didn't know, okay, I know that I need to be diverse, but I don't know what that looks like. How do I implement that? And I, I don't know, Kimberly, if you're still chairing the, the AICPA's Diversity and Inclusion uh, Commission, the, the National Commission, but when I started attending some of those many years ago, just, just to get the information from that and giving people permission to come in and just talk frankly, about I don't understand why this is offensive to somebody or I don't understand how I make this movement in my firm. I think if giving people that permission to just openly and honestly discuss what some of the issues were and how to move them forward was another thing I think that helped move this forward. Ariana, we've had uh, Herschel Frierson on this show. He's the chairman of the National Association of Black Accountants. We've also had Professor Anton Lewis, who's a uh, an expert on racial diversity and uh, Talking about as they came through the accounting profession, they didn't see anybody like them. There was nobody representative of their journey where they came from. So 
it's more acute now. Diversity is top of the agenda, isn't it? It, it certainly is. And when you think about um, the impacts of being able to see diversity represented in the places that you aspire to, for me, one of the things that really comes to mind is being able to focus on authenticity. It's really hard to be able to bring your best self to everything that you're doing when you have to, or you feel like you have to, um, be different than who you truly are. And so when you're in a place where you can't see anyone who looks like you, it's really hard to be authentic. And I think that that was tying back to some of the comments earlier um, and going through the pandemic and we were isolated. Kimberly, to your point, we were watching the news, we were by ourselves, but we were also discovering who we were. And I think that now post-pandemic as we're going back into our full lives of work and home and everything else, people don't want to separate anymore, especially people that belong to different categories of diversity and underrepresented groups. Um, and, to, and that's what we want for people, right? Not only from a professional standpoint, we want just as humans to one another. I want people to be able to come and be their true authentic selves. Um, and so that's why it's important for diversity to be represented beyond all of the business case reasons. We know the business case reasons that diverse teams perform better and all the rest of those things. But it's also important for the people that we're serving, not only um, in our teams, but our clients that we're serving to see that we are diverse so that they can feel represented too, because we only continue within our country. And as we're doing more global, um, having more global connections, more global business and things like that, to make sure that we are represented diversely, um, not only in our organizations, but also in our own personal interactions. I think sometimes the focus can be on business when it's also important to think about the circles that you're keeping personally and to not just have your focus be professionally. There's so much in there, and you're quite right to point out, Ariana, that as much as you are for women on this panel, underrepresented groups and minorities speaks to gender gaps, older and younger. The average accounting partner here in the UK is 53, and that's going down very quickly. The average age of a business owner was 49 before the pandemic. Now it's 33. So the generation gaps, the working class stroke middle class gaps, the LGBTQ, there's all of those things going on. So these people are coming through the ranks, solving the succession problem. 75% of accountants are at or close to retirement age, according to the IACPA. So there's a big black hole coming if we don't embrace diversity in our workforces. Any follow-up comments from you on this before we talk a little bit more about leadership? I would just say, I mean, to a point that, that Tommy made, I am the chair of the AICPA's National Commission on Diversity and Inclusion. And I really do think that we have to double click on inclusion and retention. And to Tommy's point, a lot of people say, they don't say this out loud, but they probably are thinking, well, we've got our two women. We've got a black person, an Asian person, a Hispanic person. We've got an indigenous person and we've got a veteran. We're good. <laughs> but one of the things I think they have to take into account is what's the promotion rate? What's the advancement rate? What's happening with how long someone stays in position relative to the firm average? There are some other things that should be taken into account. And I had the opportunity to work on a transparency report where we really started digging into those numbers. And I think they were quite revealing. And so I would encourage firms to look at and double click at their inclusion rates and creating psychological safety so that people will not just come, but they'll stay. Michelle, you wanted to add something now. Well, it, it, you led right into it, Kimberly. It was beautiful. I wish there was a great acronym to have inclusion and equity first, because I think those are the most important before 
the diversity and the accountability piece, Kimberly, is what I was going to also add, not just ticking that box, but there has to be a measure of accountability. And is this sustainable? Are we doing the right thing? And is everyone in the firm recognizing the value of this diverse background group of people? You know, people aren't diverse, their background is diverse. And so the inclusion and equity piece, when we do studies in our firms about creating a DEI journey and what that's gonna look like, the first thing they do is look inward and say, are we inclusive? Are we equitable currently? And then we attack the diversity piece. And I think that's often missed. Um, but is, when we say equity, do we want 50% female partners, 50% male partners in a firm? Is that even doable? What would that mean? Do 50% of women want to be partners in an accounting firm? We can't ignore the child rearing issue of things. And there is a cost to be paid for being a partner and leading a major organization that men seem in the past to have been more willing to pay. But Rob, you just described equality. Equity and equality are not the same thing. Now, how many of my panelists were thinking that when he <laughs> said that? Good point. We were, we were ready to jump in. And so, Ariana, I'm going to defer to you to hear what your thoughts were. But I just wanted to make that note right up front. That's a fair point. And Ariana, I'm willing to be educated. So uh, please go ahead. <laughs> I think the point that you made is, I'm glad that you made it though, Rob, because it is, I think, something that crosses people's minds, right? Is what exactly should that look like? But I think we need to consider in each organization, what, how are we creating opportunities that allow that path to be available, right? And it's not going to necessarily equal up to 50-50. And I don't think that that's even what our goal is at all. It might happen to be that way in your firm, but it's not going to be by design, right? But really, it's about making sure that people have the opportunities to choose that path and that you're able to support that. I look at, in my example, you brought up the, the child rearing. Um, I've been at Boomer for 15 years now, as I mentioned, I'm a shareholder, so I did make that path to partner. I have three children, um, and I actually spent four years of my career working part-time after we had our girls. We have identical twin girls, and then we have um, our son as well. But after we had the girls, I was able to work part-time for four years, worked in the morning, I was with the girls in the afternoon, and I was still able to have my career path and my success path within the organization, and that didn't hold me back. And so, again, when you think about having access to opportunities, the child rearing, the fact, you know, of all those things, you know, and obviously we need to look at just our definition of child rearing because, you know, my husband had his role and he had to do, he had to make parental like paternity concessions at work and to advocate for those. And so it's really about, um, I think it really comes down to understanding as an organization, how you can understand your people and what it is that they're looking for and not creating an equal path for everyone, because that's not what it's all about. How can you create paths that really speak to the needs of different people? And that's how you support diversity. Creating a homogenous situation is not going to create diversity. And so, and you know, you hear pushback because, well, what is it? We have to talk to the people and understand what they want and time and every, like, yes, that is what you have to do. Um, and to create access and ways for people to have, um, to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. If it wouldn't have been for that, I wouldn't be sitting in the seat that I am today. Let's talk about leadership. And Tommy, I'll start with you on this one. Leaders drive culture. They set vision. They have to adhere to the DEI agenda, whatever that looks like for the firm. But leading in these challenging times is more difficult than ever before. So what, how are the good leaders dealing with what's going on right now. Good leaders are starting to look uh, 
through a broader lens and they're realizing that the people that they're leading or managing, they have a right for consistency, but yet flexibility from them as leaders. I know several years ago, I felt like my leadership style was my style and people could just deal with that. And I could not have been farther from the truth. You, What I have learned and started implementing and finding that I'm finding far more success and effectiveness in the folks that I'm trying to lead or manage is that you you lead someone based on their ability to do something, a particular task, and their willingness to do something. So it's not one style fits all, it's many styles fit the same person depending on what it is that they're doing. And I think leaders um, are coming to that realization that They've got to talk to people to Ariana's point there. You cannot just assume that because a, a woman has had a child that she wants to put her career on, on the sidebar here. So I think you have to engage. You have to create that trust with the people that you're leading and you're managing so that they can expect some consistency from you, but also some flexibility when it comes to helping them develop their career path. Michelle, there's been a lot of research on leadership over the years, probably more than any other topic. There is some evidence to suggest that women do lead differently to men in that they've got a more open, compassionate, empathetic way of going about things. But then some women lead like men and some men lead like women. So what does successful leadership look like for you in this diverse world? I always struggle with that equation of men and women and why we lead differently. Are we more empathetic? You know, I like to think of just a good leader, male or female. And I think it is a very intentional leadership especially today, it's no longer, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to set a strategy, as you said, leaders do, and then, you know, get buy-in later. It's all about inclusion. That's why I love that. I think that's the most important piece, including members of the team in the decision-making and being very intentional about managing change because it's a struggle right now. Change is happening faster than ever before. And that is a very difficult time for many people and pulling them out of their comfort zone, a team they've always enjoyed or a process that works for them and helping them understand the necessity of change and the positivity of change, but recognizing the human element. And I think that's such a fortunate time that we live in that you do have to talk to people as Tommy and Kimberly said, and really understand where they're coming from. But look at that as an opportunity, not as like, oh, do I have to do this, but rather all these different voices are going to make us stronger. And I think a, a really strong leader does that. And he knows or she knows when to defer. When there's somebody who has a talent better than theirs or a skill set, male, woman, you know, it doesn't, or male, female, it doesn't matter, but, but that they know when to defer. They're not always in charge. I think that's the true sign of a good leader is when they share that responsibility and, and pass it on. Ariana, change is not something that CPAs, accountants are known for. They're not known for their agility, but they've shown that they can change and adapt more than we perhaps would have given them credit for during COVID. So what does good leadership look like for you in these diverse times? Go back to authenticity. That I think is, a, from my perspective, one of the key characteristics of being a good leader. I think also being a good communicator, but if you're not communicating from that place of authenticity, then it's not going to be as impactful. And I think in, uh, when we're speaking to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, all of those different pieces, if it's just something that you're saying because you know that you have to and you're trying to check off the box, you're not gonna make an impact in your organization. 
Um, I'm hopeful though, that through, you know, if it is from leadership and maybe if, if it isn't truly authentic, that at least gives other people permission to then move those initiatives forward in the organization. But it's most important to have it be truly something that is not just in the head, but also in the heart of those who are leading those initiatives. In fact, they should be leading with their hearts. So not only in diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging in that space, I think it's paramount, but just when you think about leadership in these times, you need to show up as your authentic self. And sometimes it starts with, I think we talked about earlier, putting that mirror up in front of yourself and really exploring, because we all have areas to grow. We all, and your leadership journey of growth never stops. It's continuing to identify those blind spots and say, how can I continue to uncover those layers of authenticity and to lead that way? And then to the point earlier about communication and then bringing others in as Michelle was talking about because you can't do it yourself. But if you're not leading with your heart and that true conviction, then it's really hard to have, bring people along and have that be successful. Kimberly, we've got to recognize authenticity, of course, but accounting is a very competitive career, super smart people, technically brilliant. I interviewed a former top four accountant, a male, uh, some months ago that tried to take his own life because he said he was in an environment where he couldn't show any weakness. He didn't want to admit that he was struggling with the workload, but if he was being authentic, he would have opened up about that, but he felt that the environment was such that he couldn't. So being authentic is all well and good, but best practice and what worked a few years ago doesn't necessarily work now and the game has changed. Rob, I just can't believe, I pray for all of our colleagues who, and I'm sure it's not just that one, but all of our colleagues who find themselves in a place where they do need that kind of support and they need balance and, and all of that in their lives. And that to be able to be authentic about who they are and what they want and what their values are, I think is so important and now more, more than ever. But I would say, that leaders have to lead from the front. You have to be willing to be vulnerable because people are going to model the behavior that they see and it sets the tone for the culture. The culture is a living, breathing entity inside the organization made up of people. And because it's a construct made up of people, it's reinforced by the things that people do every single day because the firm in and of itself is just a building. It's the people who make up the firm. And so I think it is important for leaders to one, have a success plan. So many times when I'm talking to firms and I'll say, well, if someone wasn't working out, you'll have a performance improvement plan, which, you know, quiet as it's kept, most people think those are the plans that really just give you the notice to get out the door because they haven't seen great success for when someone was on a performance improvement plan and how they still advance the partner. So if they're out there, they need to speak up so that people will have more confidence in those plans. But the success plan says that for each of us as panelists, we have a path that works specifically for us to be successful. And the leader is going to be a mentor, a coach, and a sponsor in equal measures at different times and at different seasons of our career journey. And we need that leader that if Ariana was at home because she was part-time, the leader that she needed and she had was the leader that even when she was not in the room was talking about her. And even if she needed a growth area because she just said we're all work in progress and absolutely that's true, the coach leader would say, Ariana, let's get on a Zoom or let's get in a conference room and let's have a conversation about one of these areas that I think you could work on. And then the mentor is talking with her about her aspirations for the future and inspiring her. So the leader isn't just one 
dimension. It's multiple dimensions and it's the leader for everyone. I talk a lot about inclusive leadership, but to be honest, it's just leadership. The reason that we add inclusive to leadership is because we want it to be clear that when you're the leader, you're the leader for everyone. So hence we say inclusive leadership, but that's a, it's kind of duplication because I don't think you can really truly be a leader if you're not inclusive of the team that you're supporting and how you encourage them to achieve things that they didn't think they would ever be able to achieve. The leader is the person that could help them get there. And just to wrap up the leadership part of this discussion, if we've learned anything, we've learned that one size doesn't fit all. And some people want to work from home. Some people want to come into an office. They want compensating in different ways. There are different styles of being in a firm or a professional organization and different styles of leading them. Some need an arm around the shoulder and some need to kick up the backside. So a leader has got to be not just authentic, but very adaptable and flexible in their approach for dealing with a diverse workforce. Any thoughts on that from any of you? If I could just add uh, something that feeds into that, Rob, and, and we've talked about authenticity a couple of times now, and I don't disagree with that at all. The genuineness that comes with that helps to build trust. Uh, but if you think about we are all wired differently. And if we behave the way we are naturally wired all of the time, we're going to be wrong a good bit of the time. Now, I know, I think Boomer uses Colby. We use DISC. There's a lot of profiles out there. They're all uh, similar in the way that they, they evaluate someone's wiring. And sometimes we will say, you have to learn to be someone that you're not. That doesn't mean be disingenuous. It just means overlay the way that you're wired with some emotional intelligence so that you can adjust to your point there, Rob, you've got to be able to adjust so that you can address situations, people in different situations and have that effectiveness that you're looking for as a leader. Tommy, our pastor at church recently asked the question, what would church be like if everybody was like you? And for a moment, I thought that would be great because everyone would be really direct. They just get the job done. They just steam in there. And, and, and then I thought for a minute, oh, okay, well, who's going to do that job and who's going to take care of the kids' work and who's going to play in the band and who's going to do all these different jobs and clean the toilets and serve the teas and coffees? And you then get to thinking, well, church with everybody like me would be an absolute nightmare. So we've got to be nothing if not adaptable. Exactly. I mean, I am very competitive. I can make a competition out of anything. <laughs> can you imagine me doing that 100% of the time? I, I wouldn't have a lot of success a lot of the time if I did that. And Ralph, I think you brought up a great point that I'd like to mention. And it's, I think, a great leader also, um, whether you're leading a whole firm or leading a part of the firm, you know, there's levels, but that reminding your people about the impact they're making, um, not, not giving, you know, um, strokes of, of confidence for the sake of doing it, but really reminding them about their importance as part of the team, as you just mentioned from your church group. Um, I think that that's something that's been overlooked in recent years, and it's coming back now that that a person's happiness, especially with talent shortage, knowing they can go anywhere, um, but having it a genuine uh, impact conversation. I think people in general need that positive feedback. And I don't think we've been giving it enough until now. And it seems to be happening. There's a real movement, um, very intentional leadership. Ariana, let's talk about adversity. It sounds like diversity, but is it? it's an aspect of leadership because if you're going to be authentic, you've got to be ready to fail. You've got to be ready to uh, admit that you're not coping very well. You've got to be authentic, as you've spoken about, and you've got to be willing to get it wrong or back yourself in the midst of saboteurs or doubt. So is there a time when this has been, you've been against the wall and, and what have you perhaps learned from that? Yeah, so I'd say one of my 
greatest opportunities. And I like to look at adversity as opportunities for growth because to your point, it's going to happen, you know, and if you're really pursuing many of the different things that we've talked about. But one of the places where I find adversity, but also growth ties to what we were talking about earlier and leadership and things like that. And one of the things that I would add is pursuing feedback. So when you not just wait for feedback to come to you, but when you're intentional and proactive about getting feedback, how did I do? What could I have done better? Um, those different things that present you with what could be perceived as adversity, but truly they are growth opportunities. So for me, um, our 360 feedback team, feedback format internally is really valuable. But oftentimes when you get that 360 feedback from the entire team and your peers, you see things where it gets back to that looking in the mirror, right? And at that point, you can make a decision of what am I going to do about that? Am I going to take that and really let it be something that breaks me down? Because it's, it's all about mindset, right? But we know that it's being delivered from a good place and that we know that it's feedback that we're getting that's going to help us to grow. So then what do you do? Um, also, you know, in getting client feedback, I have had times where I've gone to deliver an engagement and you can tell in that moment that it's really maybe not connecting the way that you thought it was, especially if it's content around diversity, equity, and inclusion, because sometimes you, while you're being authentic and you know that you need to push people and encourage courageous conversations, you can read in the group that it's maybe not connecting the way that it should externally. So pausing to get that feedback and it can be scary, right? Where you're like, oh my goodness, what are these people gonna say next? But I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is that it's so much about mindset and that it's about being courageous and that it's about always looking um, at how adversity that you run into can make you grow. Um, but one of the best ways to do that is through getting, through getting feedback. Um, and proactively asking for that, not just waiting for it to come to you. Tell me, have you ever picked the wrong fight or backed the wrong horse or made some <laughs> kind of mistake that you've learned from? I'm sure I probably have. I, I, I honestly don't spend a lot of time dwelling on that. I think, you know, setbacks or things not working out the way that I had desired or thought that they would work out. In all honesty, sometimes it was just divine intervention that it didn't work out the way that I had planned for it to do that. So my approach has generally been, and I, and I, I uh, Ariana saying it's a mindset really resonated with me because I, I learn what I can from that experience and I move on. I, 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 I don't mean for that to sound dismissive of it, but there's nothing that I have found that I can gain by dwelling on it. We ascribe to a notion of learn, try, fail. And anytime you're doing something new, you're going to learn a concept, you're going to try it, and you're likely not going to succeed 100% the first time through. So you repeat that process. And uh, if we look at, and I have tended to look at um, failure or not succeeding the first time uh, on something new as, as an opportunity to learn something. And uh, it, it's always served me well to look at that for what it is and think, okay, what would I have done differently? What should I have done differently and move on from it? Kimberly, we're talking about diversity here. Is it more difficult sometimes as a woman or a minority where what you do is scrutinized and you have to perhaps meet a higher level of recognition or accomplishment or capability to get the success that you want? And that leads to you pushing the boundaries and perhaps failing or having to deal with uh, some pushback, some negativity. <laughs> Absolutely, Rob. Absolutely. So I grew up in the inner city of Baltimore. You may you may know that. And when I was growing up, my mom would always say to me, Kimberly, 
you're black and you're female. You've got two strikes against you. I'm like, oh my goodness. In today's environment, I cringe, especially every time I say that. But I think it's important for people to realize that being a woman and being a minority for some is a huge impediment to their path going forward. And so it does take a village. It takes a lot of allies and people to support them. But as it relates to my career journey, I've always understood from maybe my mom telling me that, that I'd have to work twice as hard to get half the credit. And so that means everything I did, I had to do it extra above and beyond. That creates a lot of stress. And, and you can imagine that when I became the chairman of the world's largest accountancy body, along with Tommy Berry, who was my mentor, by the way, amazing. See her great success track record. She got me to be his chair. So, hey, go figure. <laughs> but I will say that all I could think initially was if I screw this up, I'm screwing it up for women. I'm screwing it up for women with children. I'm screwing it up for minorities. I'm screwing it up for Black people. And so there is a lot of pressure to succeed and, and to just be amazing at everything you do. But we all have off days. And I remember as it relates to having this, this huge crown that I'm wearing on my head by my own will, it wasn't the people around me. Maybe it was the own, my own pressure that I was putting on myself that I remember having this conversation with Rich when it came to introductions. And Rich would just say, you know, they, they just say I'm the chair and I get on the stage. And I'm like, Rich, I need my bio read because I need the audience primed. I need them to know that they didn't look for a binder of women or they didn't look for somebody black and say, oh, let's parachute somebody in there. So I want my credentials read. I want my academic background read. I want all the things I've done read so that people understand that I earned this seat. And it may not be the traditional path of a 40-year partner. Maybe my path is a little bit different, but it's no less one that's valuable and relevant and extremely appropriate for where we are, especially with technology today. So yes, every single day I speak, if there were books on the table anymore, people probably, not all, but some would be flipping through the book to say, what? We, we had a black chair? Where did she come from? And I think people are increasingly not doing that, but I can't tell you how many times I stood on stage and visibly could see the surprise. So yes, for many of us, there is that pressure that's there. Now, I will tell you what I did was give myself permission to be imperfect. I just said, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to stress myself out. The only thing I need to be worried about is not falling on the way to the stage. I'm not going to get on stage and be worried about not knowing every bit of the IRS code or every FASB standard or every guideline, every regulation, everything that's ever happened in the history of AICPA. I'm going to give myself permission to not know it all, to not have done it all. And I'm going to give my, myself permission to say, you know what, I'll get that answer to you. And I'm happy to follow up. Reading, liberating. And I was so much more happy. It showed my entire term. It shows today. Because if I don't know it, I just say I don't. And then I'll get the answer. It's just as simple as that. But, you know, that's fast forward. I'm over 50. So maybe when you're over 50, you get more liberated. I don't know. But I'm living my best life. 
And I'm really happy that I made that decision. Well, you obviously had it tough, but Michelle, her trajectory to the top's been absolutely smooth. No bumps in the road, no obstacles, no saboteurs. I mean, she's had it easy, right, Michelle? You know, honestly, I'm still going on what Kimberly just said. That was something I had never considered to have your bio read because you had to prove your credentials. I never had to think that way, or or perhaps I should have, and I didn't, but I, I didn't have bumps Rob, I was so fortunate. I, except for that little hiccup getting into Prime Global, <laughs> almost not getting it. But I, I was in an industry that was very female dominated. So my start out of college, it was the fashion industry. It was with guest jeans and Macy's, and that's my background. And so it was very female dominated. So I didn't. I had great role models of female women. There wasn't a lot of diversity except for gender but I did have um, great leaders. I often worked for women. Um, but that's such a consideration, Kimberly, that um, I, I had never really thought about. You've given me just a huge perspective. When I go to speak or when I'm up on stage, I preferred just a short introduction, feeling like, of course I belong here. Of course I do. And so that's something to really keep in mind as we do lead groups. That, um, you know, I, it's funny, I read recently, don't live by the golden rule, like treat people as you want to be treated, treat them as they want to be treated, as they need to be treated. And that's a great consideration to keep in mind. But truly, I've been fortunate, like Tommy, I, I was sitting here thinking of, you know, huge setbacks I had, and I, I didn't, I had a huge support system with my husband who put his career on hold while I was doing a lot of traveling. And then it was his turn and I went part time, but that was a private partnership. Um, professionally, I, I, I guess I came out pretty easy. I, I didn't have huge struggles. And if I did, I don't remember them. Like Tommy, I, I learned and moved on. Well, I, I'd like to close in a moment by asking you all for some key takeaways for the audience on leading in these challenging times, particularly with diversity and inclusion in mind. But I just want to camp here for a moment on the topic of mental resilience, mental health. Uh, Kimberly, you were very candid there in talking about what you had to endure and get through to get to where you are. And often we take that for granted. Men would probably take that for granted, white middle-class men. But there are, the more pressures you're under to get to where you are and perform at a level and set a good example as a leader, that puts you under a huge pressures, huge stresses. And it speaks to your mental resilience and mental health that some people cope and some people don't. So you're nodding, Kimberly. Any thoughts on that? And anyone else just come in on the whole mental health side of things? Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, it's kind of hard for me to speak to everyone else's mental health in general because they're going through different things. But as it related to me, I am a woman of faith. And as a woman of faith, I believe that God will give me wings to fly or he will catch me before I fall. And I also believe that God not only calls the qualified, he qualifies those he calls. And so think about channeling that energy everywhere I go. I am here because I'm supposed to be. I know who I am. I know whose I am. And so I've always thought my steps were ordered. And, and because of that confidence, I always even considered failure as a part of the journey. I consider disappointment as a part of the journey. And it's all about rubbing some dirt on it and getting up and keep going every single day. And to remember that to whom much is given, much is required. A lot of people hear me say that. They know that I'm a person of faith. And I will tell you, for as much as I've flown, I've gotten increasingly and increasingly more in faith, as I'm sure many of us who travel a lot. And I think that's what keeps me going every single day, not just for me, but for other people.
and I just call it purple people. And purple people is everyone across every aspect, across every gender, across every gender expression to be the best version of themselves. I share your faith, of course, and the Bible says, and it's as good as an instruction manual for life as anything. When you have trials, it doesn't say if you have trials, it says when you have trials. And that's the point here, isn't it? For you, the panelists, we're, we're all contending with something. Nobody's got it all sorted. People would look at the, all of us and think, your life's great. It's so glamorous. It's so wonderful from the outside. But when we look behind that and scratch under the surface, we've all got something going on. And any thoughts from you other three on this mental resilience, health side of things, well-being? I think that we're past due in focusing on it. Again, there's been so much separation between personal and professional in the past, I think, especially within the accounting profession. I always talk a lot, you know, within firms about um, really understanding the human element of the changes that you're trying to make to your business and transformation and things like that. And the accounting profession focuses on facts and figures and doesn't focus as much on the feelings of it because the feelings don't matter. We just need to get the work done. And that is a mentality that is causing, you know, the burnout and people leaving the profession and everything else. So I think we're well past due of really understanding what is the impact um, you know, that, that people, what are the impacts that the environment that people are working in that they're facing? What are the things outside of what they have going on, you know, that are causing impacts when they come to work and have to perform professionally? You know, I think even for myself um, in the work that I do, the majority of the time, I'm the only Black person in the room. So as I'm walking in as the consultant, I'm meeting with partner groups, you know, so that means there aren't very many women. Um, oftentimes, there are times when I get to work with a cross-functional team, and maybe you see a little bit more diversity, but that's more by gender than anything else. I'm still most often the only Black person in the room. So to understand even from a mental aspect, when you have someone, you know, when going back to talking about inclusion and all the rest of those things, what's the mental impact that that has? on someone when they are operating in that environment? And how can we think about that from wellness and well-being, which ties back to inclusion? You know, and we think when we think about, you know, even the ties back to authenticity, are we allowing people to show up as them as their true selves, especially people to Kimberly's point before pointing out LGBTQIA, who you may not even be able to recognize that they can't show up as their full selves. What is the mental impact of that? And I think that these are questions that we need to be asking ourselves and putting together cross-functional groups where leadership is supporting it, because it's not just about the business case, you know, going back to that, it's about the humanity of it all. And we don't want people suffering. We don't want our peers suffering. We don't want our team suffering. So as I said, it's well past time for us to be focusing on this. And I would just add to what Ariana said, it's kind of a, a, a long stretch. But I'm working on this outsourcing project and interviewing our firms and outside resources, kind of gauging supply and demand and, and where we can help with the talent shortage. And what the firms are saying to me, and I, I believe it's a, a sincere comment, is that their first and foremost motivation for looking at outsourcing is their people and the mental health and the stress. Growth is great, and that's going to be a fantastic byproduct. They admit that. But first and foremost, when we talk about it, it is the impact on their people and that it's time that the industry looks at that. And, and perhaps the fewer people coming into the industry is a sign that it's not desirable. It's the workload, the, the compression is too much. And so there's this real intentional, and this is global firms, it's not just the US and Canada, who are saying, we want to outsource because our people need relief and they need a balance and we want to give it to them. And that's the motivation. I thought that was really fascinating because initially I had it in my head. They would say it's to grow. 
you know, we're firing clients. This is why we need to outsource. And it's not, it's relief for their people and their mental health, which is telling. I think it's a great place to be. It's a wonderful point. I interviewed a managing partner of a mid-tier firm here in the UK recently. He said, our firm has a zero overtime policy. So at 5.30, I come out of my office and I walk around the office and anybody that's still there, I tell them to go home. And to be able to run something like that, their average overtime is 30 minutes a month per employee. But you need the capacity, you need the culture, you need to make sure they're not leaving clients unattended and promises unfulfilled. They're in doing what they say they're going to do. They need that capacity sorted and outsourcing as good a way as any to do that. But yeah, it's a leader that was backing up the walk and the talk. So thank you. Let's go to closing remarks now and leave our audience with some key takeaways, some practical uh, examples of what they can do. And Tommy, I'll start with you on this one. Good leadership these days. What would you advocate that the up and coming leaders and the leaders in situ do to really uh, embrace everything we've been talking about today? I would advocate that uh, they be bold, be brave and be diligent about what they want. Find their voice and use it. I think oftentimes we expect people to, to identify and find us and we need to be a little bit more proactive in seeking opportunities and challenges that are outside of our comfort zone. Another thing that has served me well um, throughout my career is having a both a mentor and a coach. Kimberly mentioned both of them, and I, I was pleased to hear the differentiation that she shared because I, I don't believe they're the same. I believe that they're different as well. Um, and I have had male and female because I like the different perspectives. We, we talked about earlier on about the importance of diversity and seeing someone up the chain that, that you aspire to be. I like having that difference of uh, the lens that the male and female used to help me not only navigate my career development, but perhaps some political aspects of my profession or my career development as well. And it's seeing those blind spots, isn't it, with somebody different to you yes. that gives you that perspective, right? Kimberly, what takeaways would you give our audience for uh, not just women, really, but career tips for leaders generally? I would definitely echo everything Tommy said, but even more, what I would say is that leadership is not a destination, it's a journey, and it changes by the environment. For much of what's happening, a lot of it is now being brought into the firms. Firms now have to be therapists. They're talking about childcare. They're talking about things that are social issues. They're talking about volunteerism, things that as I grew up in my career, and I often say this kind of tongue in cheek, I grew up in my career as a Caucasian white man. And I really, <laughs> and I really did not have the opportunity to really talk about those things a lot. When I talk about my kids today, and talk about my kids. So leaders have to cultivate the environment that would allow people to feel comfortable that they can do that. And that's based on the trends and the things that are happening in the world around us. We know that the pandemic was an issue. We know there are natural disasters. There know there, we know that there are social justice issues. We know that there's poverty and political discourse. We don't want to bring those things that are negative into our environment, but leaders have to understand that that's what's influencing a lot of the conversations that are happening. And so they have to make sure that they know exactly what they stand for, what the firm's values are, and that will guide them on the clients they take or the clients they don't take. And so if you say you're about your people, but you have a client that's rude or a client that won't serve women or a client that won't serve black people or a client that won't serve Muslim people, where you stand 
shows up in those moments. And it's going to be tough and it's going to be uncomfortable. And we're going to be looking for the leader to make the call. The second thing that I would say is leaders also have to look at themselves and look at the people that report into them. And I say that because lots of times I meet the most amazing leaders, but their middle management team, not so much. And then I had to get to the point where I had to say, wait, partners don't think I'm talking about them. They think when I say middle management, that I'm talking about seniors and senior managers. So then I had to be more clear and basically say, everyone between the CEO and the interns, I'm talking about you. And that everyone has a bias and including the CEO, but in particular, the CEO is the one out messaging all of this great stuff about people leadership, but you don't see that same message being echoed throughout the organization. So we definitely need to think about that as a leader. How do you permeate your values, the firm's values, the culture you want to set throughout your entire team so that when people leave, they truly are leaving because it's a great opportunity, not leaving because they work for a jerk. That's very good. And what's come out from these panels is the, you mentioned the word conversations, is giving your people the vocabulary to have these conversations and the terms, because there's a lot that we don't understand about other groups and giving them permission to have these conversations and setting the culture that makes those conversations frequent that develops a good diverse culture. Ariana, one of your closing thoughts and recommendations for our listeners and watchers on leading in challenging times. I think one of the best places to start and we um, have mentioned this earlier, but I would really put it out there as a call to action. If you really are looking to do, you know, something different and growing in your leadership is to, after this podcast, to identify three to five people who you can ask when it comes to leadership. And if you wanna focus specifically on diversity, equity, and inclusion, you can. What are a couple of things that I'm doing well? And where are a couple of areas that I can improve? Pick three to five people that understand you from different perspectives of the way that you lead. It might be personally, they might all be professionally, but commit to asking that, asking those people that question. But more importantly than asking the question is determining to do something with the feedback that you get. Right. And communicating that to people that I'm looking to, you know, find ways that I can be focused on continuous improvement in my leadership. And I would like you to join with me and helping me to make that happen. Now, what's that what that's going to do is not only allow you to grow and to find um, new ways to improve your leadership, but it's also going to encourage those around you to do the same. And a good leader really creates a ripple effect of growth, right? It's not just growing on your own. It's creating that ripple effect and helping to encourage and inspire others to do the same. And so by doing that and by leading that way, you can help others and start to build a culture that's based on that. And the more that you can have that, that feedback, and as we talked about earlier, eliminate those blind spots, the more that we're going to be able to grow, but also to grow together. And so again, if you're looking for an action item to do right now, well, finish listening to us. But then after that, <laughs> go ahead and go and challenge yourself to do, to do that activity. And I'm not just talking to the listeners. I'm talking to all of us here on the podcast. Good leadership starts with self-leadership, doesn't it? Getting yourself right. Yeah. Michelle, the last word, what would you leave our listeners and watchers with on uh, advice for leading in these tough times? There's little to add after these panelists all contributed, but mine would be very simple. And it would be to listen and listen intentionally. I was sitting here reflecting on the best leaders I've ever worked for, and they were listeners. You know, they spoke very little, but they listened, and that gave them great insight into leading. And I don't, I don't know that we do that enough, whether you're networking, whether you're leading a group, is to intentionally listen. And the other I would just add is to keep educating yourself. 
um, to, to keep learning as a leader, to keep reading, listening to podcasts like this, you know, finding ways to improve and, and relating to the people you're leading, I think is critical. You've never, as, as Kimberly said, you've never reached a point that you're done leading. It's a journey. And that education piece has to be intentional as well. I've used that word so much in this podcast, but I do think leadership is intentional. It, it's part of your job that you need to keep working on, um, depending on who you're leading, depending on the times. And the best leaders, mentors, coaches uh, don't just listen well. They ask good questions to elicit those answers that they really want. I'm reminded of a story about one of the best detectives in New York. He had a higher conviction and closing rate than anybody else. And he was asked the secret of his success. And he said, it's pretty simple. When I've got a suspect in that interview room, when they start talking, I never give them a reason to stop. And that would do it, wouldn't it? Just keep Keep people talking. Ladies, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your candor today, for your insights, for your humor. It's clear that you all know each other. There's some great chemistry around here, but we've touched on a lot of great subjects and hopefully given our listeners, watchers, a, a lot of inspiration and hope for what is going to be a challenging time. There will be trials, but there are also solutions and there are friends and advocates and champions and support out there with women like you leading the way. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rob. It was a pleasure. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Brought to you by Advanced Track.